you can see that something that would normally be controlled and limited resale or resale discouraged becomes a giftable, freely tradable, build your own market, build your own app on top of it if you must. You know, you can do anything with it. Hello there from El Salvador, the Bitcoin capital of Central America. How are you all doing? I'm out here making a film, but I'm also stuffing my face with pupusas and catching up with everyone out here in El Zonte. It's great to be back. I do love it out here. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And first up today, we have Sportsbet.io, the very best place online gaming because they're so badass that they accept Bitcoin. And now the football season has started, and it's, you know, it's been a really strange start to the season. We've got Tottenham at the very top of the league after winning their first three games, and Arsenal at the bottom of the league, which is hilarious. It must be great for Tottenham fans, but it's a strange start to the season. But I'm out there, you know, my Liverpool team. We might have drawn a game, but we're going good. I feel, we, feel we're going to have a hot season. Now, look, if you are interested in putting a bet on sports, football, anything out there, Sportsbet has you covered. Alongside football, they support tennis and motorsports. They've got US sports, and they even support esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have the Exodus Wallet, who I use exclusively as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. And as you know, because I talk about it all the time, UX is super important to me. So when the team at Exodus reached out and they said, Pete, we want to sponsor your podcast. I was like, well, come on, I've got to play with it first. I'm not just going to take your money. Do you know what? They crushed it, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends, and my family. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And that is E-X-O-D-U-S. And lastly, this week, we have Casa, which is the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are all too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about this shit again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, and you get to distribute those wallets into different locations. And that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can email me, you can drop me a DM. I always reply. I've been a customer for about a year now and happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Samson, hello, mate. How you doing? Hey, Peter. Great to be on again. Yeah, good to see you again. Adam, good to see you again. You well? Yeah, Good. Right, uh, we've got a lot to get into today because you guys just raised a huge amount of money. Uh, you are now valued at three point two billion. You're a unicorn uh, officially. I don't, I don't, I'd never seen it stated before that you're a unicorn business. Uh, but also, I think one of the things that's most interesting to me is that you are a very significant business building out infrastructure that's taking Bitcoin further. Um, so, Adam, really first to you, uh, how's it feel? You've been working on this for for a long time. You've been working on Blockstream for a long time. Uh, must feel pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, we probably were kind of a unicorn before because we have Bitcoin on a balance sheet from 2014, sort of before Michael Saylor popularized that. So, I mean, we, it, there's not an official valuation to do unless you do a round. So anyway, um, I think, you know, the reason for the raise is that there are a lot of opportunities for growth and putting together revenue and profit margins from you know, all kinds of areas right now significant growth in third-party development or liquid, uh, the admin capital acquisition we did to start assembling assets under management and issue reboot the fund there, and ramp up our mining activities, both internal to the company and uh, for third-party you know, hosting, and also the mining manufacturing. So the use of capital is spread across quite a lot of things. But we're very excited to be able to, you know, accelerate those in a in a more resounding way. And just to uh, extend on that, Samson, like I said, for me, the, it, what I find is really interesting is what Blockstream are doing here, especially with Liquid, is this uh, taking Bitcoin one step further to build business services. Uh, yeah, people talk about hyper Bitcoinization and. Uh, talk about uh, Bitcoin being the only money, well, to, to have the only money, you're going to have to have certain kind of financial services and products built on top of it. And uh, I've 
been looking at interest with the STO work, which we're going to get into, but also uh, I find quite interesting the tickets as NFTs, super interesting. So it feels like Blockstream is kind of almost leading uh, the way in terms of how you can build uh, services and business uh, uh, applications on top of Bitcoin. Yeah, pretty much. So if you look at Bitcoin, it fixes money. Um, it fixes a lot of things about money, supply, issuance, and just the integrity of money. And what we're doing at Blockstream with security tokens and Liquid is fixing the financial system. So I would say existing financial markets are quite broken. Um, settlement is broken. Uh, trading is kind of broken. If you think about it, like you know, we trade on cryptocurrency exchanges, and they're just online all the time, 24-7, 365, no bank holidays. But the traditional capital market infrastructure is still you know, doing 9 to 5, and bank holidays, and downtime. And then you have situations like Robinhood stopping trading. So I think what we're starting to build here is a foundation for this new financial system anchored to Bitcoin that will also be you know, seamless and accessible at all times. And I think it's about time that we, we use the technology we have at our disposal to accomplish that. Okay, let's start with the security tokens because uh, it's an area I'm I'm interested in. I've got a lot of questions about it, how it works, how it functions. Uh, I think we have a certain amount of PTSD from the ICO craze of 2017/18. I discussed discussed that with you. I think covering INX at one point recently. Um, so I want to get into a bit of the details on security tokens. But uh, what do you think it was going to take for? certain amount of Bitcoiners to, to accept this as a, a valid use case. Because I've noticed when it's being discussed, people are saying, oh, it's ICOs again, which it clearly isn't. But I, I, how do we get to like, how do we take the conversation in a more mature way so people accept this is actually something useful? Yeah, so <laughs> ICOs are really trying to emulate um, you know, an IPO or a securities offering. And they do that by assembling uh, a board of advisors and whatnot and maybe putting together some foundation and doing a lot of fanfare like that. So I think what Bitcoiners have is kind of an impression that um, ICOs and well, even IPOs are scammy because they're, they're, they're the same kind of thing. But it's very different, right? An ICO is an illegal securities offering. And then an STO or IPO, they're regulated and they're completely above board. So... I think Bitcoiners just have to get over that hump. Like we got a lot of blowback from the INX thing. You know, you guys invested in this thing, and it's not Bitcoin. But there's a lot more than just Bitcoin out there. Like there are companies building products and services, and it's okay to invest in those things too. Um, obviously, Bitcoin is probably the most important thing. But uh, I think for most people, you want to invest in other areas or diversify, and you know, try to maximize your your money and make it work for you. And I think at the end of the day, having money in companies in security tokens is a way to do that, in addition to hodling, of course. But also, uh, security tokens aren't trying to be money. They aren't trying to dethrone Bitcoin, or they aren't trying to build something on a platform that nobody needs. There's, there's, a, there's a need for this. So yes. it's, it's slightly different. And I think, I think in some ways... The, the PTSD maybe comes from the word token, because they think, oh, an ICO is a token, tokens are scams, but they're only similar in name. They're not actually the same thing. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so before we build onto that, well, Adam, I think you're about to jump in. I'll just give you the question that I was going to ask as well, because you might uh, want to add that into this. We're going to be talking about Liquid. Um, you and I covered this quite a long time ago, uh, but I've you know my audience is like, gone up 5, 10x since we covered that. Uh, some of the people listening maybe have heard of Liquid but don't, don't know too much about it. Should we just give them a quick primer on what Liquid is? Uh, yeah, I mean, so people are familiar with Liquid, uh, sorry, with, with Bitcoin. They may have heard about Lightning, which is layer 2 for Bitcoin that optimizes for kind of retail and micropayments, makes Bitcoin more scalable, faster. And Liquid is a, is a different layer 2 that adds capabilities to Bitcoin. Um, and what it adds is confidential transactions, the ability to support different types of assets like stable coins, security tokens, which are kind of shares or security interests in conventional uh, instruments and companies, and uh, faster settlement for traders, and some smart contracting extensions. And in terms of how the three things fit together, people will often can say is you know, a liquid and lightning competitors. Um, 
I think the answer is not really. They are sort of satisfying different use cases. And you would expect that in a network, you know, with the TCP IP and the internet, the different protocols specialized for mail and web and voice over IP and that kind of thing. So this is kind of an analogy for Bitcoin and its layer twos. And the other thing to say is that actually Lightning works on top of Liquid as well as on top of Bitcoin. So you can have Lightning channels potentially you know, with some more development work on Tether, a stablecoin, for example. Um, so that's what that's what uh, Liquid is. And then we were just talking there about um, you know, STOs. And I think you, know, you can just think about it like they're a, they're a security, like a, a security interest being a legal right of ownership and invest, legal investor protections like you would expect with a private or public company. And in terms of diversification, I mean, some people are really, you know, all in Bitcoin 100%. And so they don't really want to buy a share or a startup. So you know, maybe a more interesting asset for them in the security token format is the Blockstream mining note, which is you know, basically a unit representing three years worth of mining. And so I think it's useful for Bitcoiners to do a little bit of mining to help decentralize the network, protect your Bitcoin investments. And so you know, if everybody did 1% or less of their Bitcoin investments in mining, you tend to get Bitcoin you know, you mine, you put some money in it and you get Bitcoin back out of it. So it, you know, it tends to make money or, you know, at least there's a different volatility um, sort of uh, risk trade-off with it. Maybe some de-risking, it, it makes money in some markets compared to when Bitcoin might lose or vice versa. So it's some kind of diversification, but still highly Bitcoin related, right? Maybe that's an interesting one. Yeah, so we'll come back to the mining token because I, I do want to ask about that. But I just want to, sorry, just I'm going to take you back a step just onto Liquid. Um, so if people understand Lightning, what they'll understand is that they hold Bitcoin, they can open a channel, so I can open a channel between myself and Samson, and we can send Sats between ourselves, and that allows us to transact, you know, instantly near, you know, near near free. And I've used it in places like when I was in El Salvador to buy coffee to prove it just works. It, it works as money how you want money to work, instant, you know, low cost. But in terms of Liquid, how, how do people actually on board, board to Liquid? So if I was today, I, was, I, I wanted to use Liquid. How do I actually do that? Um, and how does that actually work? So there's a kind of analogous, uh, to, uh, analogous uh, mechanism. So as you said, with Lightning, you open a channel and money flows around and eventually you might close a channel and you get the money back, you know, get the Bitcoins back on the main chain. So with Liquid, there's something similar, which is called a peg-in. That's to put money into Liquid and there's a peg-out and that's to take it out. But with Liquid itself, it's more like Bitcoin as an experience. There's no channel to establish. You can swap Liquid Bitcoin for Bitcoin. There are a number of services like uh, SideSwap, Liquidity, Flip.me, um, many different ways to directly buy Liquid Bitcoin, many of the exchanges that are on Liquid Network, Liquid integrations, you can deposit Bitcoin or Liquid Bitcoin and withdraw Bitcoin or Liquid Bitcoin and kind of convert between them. So, you know, there's a way to peg in, there's a way to peg out using a service provider. And once you're in there, it, it behaves like Bitcoin, but it's faster and confidential and typically cheaper too to transact. Can I, just a quick question, if I had my Ledger wallet, can I hold Liquid Bitcoin on it? Yes, you can. Yes, so there, there is, a, so you have to use the green wallet, but it has, it has support for a number of hardware wallets, including Ledger. And Ledger, the company, did integration for Liquid so that you can hold Liquid Bitcoin on it. So if I wanted to uh, peg into uh, Liquid, as, as I remember it, there is a, there's more confirmation. Is it 90 confirmations? Remind me. 100. Close. 100 confirmations. To, so I peg in and I uh, wait 100 confirmations, I receive my liquid Bitcoin. Is there an ability though, like, can I actually go out and just buy off an exchange liquid Bitcoin by converting Bitcoin there? Is anyone providing that service? Yeah, most of the exchanges with liquid integration actually make it fairly seamless. So you can just view it as a different different network method to deposit or withdraw. So you can deposit in, in Bitcoin or liquid Bitcoin and you can withdraw in Bitcoin or liquid Bitcoin. So to convert from Bitcoin to liquid Bitcoin, deposit some Bitcoin, withdraw some liquid Bitcoin, you're done. And some of them have waived the fees on liquid because they're quite low, so you can withdraw with zero withdrawal fee. Whereas on other networks, usually it's you know some dollars worth of dollars or Bitcoin to do the withdrawal. 
And say I'm holding liquid Bitcoin in my wallet and say I owe Samson some money for whatever reason, I have to send him you know, $1,000 of liquid Bitcoin. Uh, I understand when I send him $1,000 on the Lightning Network, if it has capacity, which it doesn't always have, but if it had capacity, it's, it's instant and, and uh, near free. I know with the base chain, you know, I'm going to have a certain uh, cost. It could be a dollar, five dollars, fifty dollars, depending on how busy the network is, and could take around about an hour. If I send Samsung a thousand dollars of liquid Bitcoin, what's the similar experience there? Is it instant? Is it? Yeah. So it's it's not as fast as Lightning, which is really you know ding ding sub second, right? But you'll typically see a notification like it's pending within you know a second or less than a second, and then within a minute you'll see one confirmation, which is generally good, but after two minutes, it's fully confirmed. So it's generally good for, you know, trading or something like that, unless you're really, really fast. A couple of minutes goes by, you know, just answering an IM with two or something like that. Yeah, I, I can extend on that. So I think it's simpler to use Liquid for certain transactions. With Lightning, you have to deal with uh, channels and rebalancing. But uh, the, the method of transport for Liquid is almost the same as Bitcoin. Well, it is the same. You have a UTXO and you're sending it. So you're just sending what you need and you don't have to worry about capacity and routing and whatnot. So it's just simpler, more straightforward. And some people really like that and they do use it for payments. Um, it's a, quite a common payment method on the Blockstream store uh, where we do accept Lightning, Liquid Bitcoin, um, Liquid USDT, and Bitcoin, of course. But you know, people like using Liquid Bitcoin or Liquid Assets in general, just because it is very straightforward. Well, so I'm trying to think of use cases, and I've just wrote down to get some Liquid Bitcoin um, because I have I, I tend to store Bitcoin in a whole bunch of places. Everything from my major storage being cold storage that I don't touch for years, uh, and then I have a certain amount that I keep in like like a hidden wallet, which is for business, and then I also have some personal, and then I have Lightning. Uh, my Lightning use case really the only time I use it at the moment is when I'm in El Salvador, which I will be next week. But um, and then with Bitcoin, I tend to do kind of big invoices or sometimes payments to service providers. But I'm thinking, I've, I've definitely got a gap uh, that I, I have where I'm doing anything which is like $50 to $1,000 for various things, uh, especially in that lower range, near $50, because the base chain fees are quite high. So if I was using liquid Bitcoin, then I'm guessing my cost would be a lot lower. Yep. I mean, it's generally around <clears throat> 15 cents. It just depends on the uh, price of Bitcoin. It's, it's uh, The actual minimum fee rate is... A tenth of a Satoshi per byte, whereas on the Bitcoin chain it's one Satoshi per byte, and the, but the transactions are a bit bigger because of the confidentiality. So it makes sense to have Sats in a, in a Lightning wallet. It makes sense to have Bitcoin on the base chain. It makes sense probably to have a little bit of liquid Bitcoin as well for certain transactions. So I'm, I'm getting my head around that. And then just my last question on there is: what, Why is it only one confirmation? How does how does consensus work in, on Liquid? How does the blockchain work with Liquid? Uh, yeah, so it's it's a different algorithm. To, I mean, Bitcoin has proof of work. Liquid has block signers, and the block signers are basically a federation of exchanges and market makers. So you know, there's about sixty different entities. If you look on Liquid.net, and a number of those have uh, HSM, so kind of special purpose secure computer that is signing the blocks. And so the algorithm just works like. The consensus algorithm just works out that after two, it's not possible to go backwards. It's possible for there to be a race condition with just one. That's why it's two. But after that, it's final. And because there's no proof of work, there's just a, a kind of like clockwork every minute. They sign a block and they take turns proposing blocks for sort of redundancy purposes. That's approximately how it works. Right, so the way I'm seeing Liquid now is like a partitioned layer on top of Bitcoin, where I partition some Bitcoin, hold them as Liquid Bitcoin, and that just enables me to do a few more things which are quicker and faster, and it allows uh, you to be able to build servers on top of it. So it kind of makes makes a lot of sense to me. So now I want to just get back into the token, Samson, and just talk a little bit more about that. Um, so these tokens aren't equity in a business, am I right? What What are these security tokens? Uh, they can be equities in a okay. business. So with Liquid, with Bitcoin, there's one asset type, just Bitcoin on the chain. Mm -hmm. But with Liquid, you can have multiple asset types. So what we do have are stable coins like USDT, um, Canadian dollar, uh, and JPY. So you can issue your own assets. You can have game currencies too. So Infinite Fleet's game currency is going to be a crypto asset on the Liquid network. 
And like you mentioned earlier, you can have NFTs as well, which is just like a single issuance of a, a one asset. They're just one-off issuances. So you can do a number of things in Liquid that you can't do with Bitcoin. And for some things like NFTs, those would not be very practical on the Lightning Network either, because if you, you I think you can do a token um, on RGB, but then you'd only be able to open a channel with, you know, we open a channel and we would send that one F NFT back and forth between ourselves. And that's the only thing you could do because as they are non-fungible, you can't really route them through the network to, say, Atom. So Liquid enables a lot of these use cases. Now, for security tokens, uh, we need a layer of permissions on that. So we're using this platform we built called Blockstream AMP, or Asset Management Platform, which creates a two-of-two multi-sig for these types of uh, security tokens or tracked assets. And we can touch on that later. But for security tokens, you need to create things like a whitelist. Um, you need to be able to uh, freeze funds in case of theft or whatnot. But you need a layer of permissions on top of it to, to effectively manage them. And that's what we can accomplish now. So you have permissionless assets in Liquid, and then you have these kind of AMP assets, which are good for security tokens. And they can be equity in a company. So uh, for Infinite Fleet, the EXO token is almost like equity. It is a profit share and a representation of equity in case there was an M&A or liquidity event down the road. And then you have things like INX, um, which is just pure profit share. I think they're 40% profit share. Uh, but you can also do BMN, which we can get into a bit later, and also bonds. So bonds are something we're talking with El Salvador on as well. Uh, any, anything that is a security can be done on Liquid. And it's far superior to other chains because we have that confidentiality that Adam touched on. Um, and I think confidentiality and privacy is a big part of any financial system. Like You don't want to be front-run. You don't want to have everyone seeing what you're doing or transacting. But we do have the option to provide an unblinding key so that you know if you and I transact and for your business purposes you need to show an auditor, you can provide an unblinding key and they can see a third party can see that transaction. That's also used in some of the decentralized peer-to-peer -peer trading platforms too, like HODL HODL. But um, it's just a, a new, new landscape for us to do these types of uh, financial instruments. Does the type of token it is, whether it's an equity-based token or a security token, is, is any of that actually information that's stored within Liquid itself, or is the legal structure external and the, the, the token is really just a representation of that? Yeah, so the token is a representation, and a lot of the uh, rules around that token are off-chain, so they're stored in a policy server, which is the, the foundation of AMP. So the thinking there is that if you need to change things, you need to whitelist investors, you don't want to be doing an on-chain transaction. Even though on-chain transactions in Liquid are pretty cheap, like Adam said, uh, somewhere like 7 to 10 cents, maybe 15 when it's spiky. But um, you know, that's not a scalable model. You'll hit a wall like Ethereum did, which is it'll cost $100 to whitelist an investor. So our, one of our partners, Stoker, they were building on Ethereum at first, and then they've transitioned now to almost purely liquid, because it would cost them $100 to whitelist an investor. And if an investor is only investing $100, then basically you just raise $0 um, because you're paying for a smart contract fee, right? There's no need to do that. You can do it completely off-chain. And the model we have is efficient because we just do a two-of-two multi-sig, and we sign off on that if the policy server agrees. So the net effect is the same without the complexity, attack surface, and cost. And is that policy server something you guys host to create, or is that something somebody else creates external to this? Uh, it's a permissionless network. So for AMP, that is a product and service that we offer. But it is possible to create policy servers on Liquid basically by anybody. So we have Rare Toshi. It's an NFT marketplace um, developed by Adam Salties, the CTO of Coinos. And he's effectively built his own policy server too, because we needed some additional functionality that we don't have yet in AMP but are working on. Sorry, Adam, you were going to jump in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I th in in particular with Stoker, you know, so Blockstream is an issuer of one of these assets, which is the BMN. And in that model, we do not know the KYC of the customers. That's all handled by Stoker. And the sort of two of two multi-signing server just gets a yes or no from Stoker. But once you are set up, so once the parties are enrolled, it feels the same as a regular liquid transaction. You know, 
you can transact peer-to-peer, you can gift, you can swap. And indeed, people are doing that. They're transacting the BMN, OTC, peer-to-peer. Yeah, so that actually fixes something, right? Like, you don't have the Robinhood situation where they can say, okay, can you guys stop trading? Um, even if, uh, if, if this was listed on a security token exchange, and let's say they halted trading for whatever reason, you can still trade peer-to-peer with people. And they're just doing it already in a Telegram channel. And I think um, there will be more decentralized exchanges that will support trading of uh, securities on Liquid too. So it's going to be a far more robust ecosystem. You know, Direct peer-to-peer trades, uh, trading through security token DEXs and on normal security token exchanges. How does the whitelisting process work? Because I quite I quite like the idea of being able to be sat in a pub, Samson, and you talking to me about you know maybe Blockstream now as a as a token, and I can invest in it. And you know you've got your certain amount of tokens. You're like, do you know what, Pete? You can buy a thousand, you can buy a thousand dollars off me right now, and I just transfer you that thousand dollars of Bitcoin, and you transfer them me the token. Um, I'm not whitelisted at that point. So how far are we away from situations like that? Is there a general whitelisting, or does every white every token have to be whitelisted separately? How does that work? So in the case of XO and BMN, that would be through Stoker. So you'd need to have an account on Stoker and go through their KYC process. But once you're past that, so it's funny, a lot of uh, people that are trading the BMNs now are actually XO token holders because they invested like $100 into XO and they were whitelisted and approved. So now they can actually trade the BMN, which can be traded down to 0.01 BMN. So about $2,000 worth even though you need to be a qualified investor investing 200,000 euros to, to buy them direct first. But the secondary is uh, a lower threshold. So you know, in that pub, if you were an EXO investor previously, then now you can invest in the BMN. So it's just like having a broker account, having an account with Stoker, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think to answer your other question, like, uh, you could potentially have shared KYC between a number of issuers. So let's say um, INX is doing some issuance. Now, they could uh, have an agreement to share their KYC between each other so that if you were uh, qualified for an INX product, you could be qualified to invest in a Stoker product too. But that's further down the road and it's far more complex because you're dealing with the regulatory hurdles at that point. But the directionally, you're heading towards peer-to-peer share trading as a token, permissionless, 24-7, well, kind of permissionless, 24-7, um, uh, final settlement of the shares without having to go through clearing. Like you, you're essentially cleaning up a lot of the problems with traditional trading of uh, shares. Exactly. So, do you think you can get to a point where something like the New York Stock Exchange would operate on something like Liquid? I'm, I'm, I'm you know, thinking very long term. Uh, I I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> for me personally, I find it really annoying that you know when I'm trading traditional stocks. Uh, I, I can only do it during working hours Eastern time. You know, I'm on the West Coast, and that means I have to wake up earlier. <laughs> so it's pretty frustrating. And if we can get to that point with traditional uh, equities markets, then I think it's a win for everyone. And there's no reason that we can't do that, right? The technology is there. We can have instant settlement or near instant settlement, and there's no need to be you know, T plus one or T plus two. Well, I, I assume the only things that would get in the way would be regulatory or uh, uh, certain companies who would be unsurfed by this lobbying against it for some reason. Yeah, I, I mean, it, there will be some resistance, of course, but I think it's inevitable that we move ahead. There's just no reason that that antiquated system should still exist. Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And first up today, we have BlockFi, who recently announced the launch of the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people living out in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you can get an amazing 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all card purchases. And you know what? There is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to sack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. Now, not just that 1.5% back, but you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership. 
and you can get 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase of over 50000 of annual spend. If you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, let's talk about Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Life software, which interfaces with your device. And if you're one of those freaks out there using an Android phone, then you can manage your Bitcoin on the go because it connects to your Nano S. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I still haven't sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market and I only want to stack sats. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And I'd like to welcome my new sponsor to the show, The Awesome Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin again. It's so good to be back, and I fucking love these guys. Now, Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. And it was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass Mining. You just pick your machines, you choose your hosting facility, and they help you with everything else. It's so damn cool. Now, if you're interested in mining, you want to find out more about this, then please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. All right, this is super interesting. So, uh, Adam, one of the things I am aware of, because we talked about this beforehand, is that there is going to be the launching of an exchange to create a liquid market for these tokens. Can you tell me a bit about that? Uh, Yes. So... um... Bitfinex is launching, uh, this is news basically, but uh, Bitfinex is launching an STO section to their international exchange. And so I'm not sure of the exact process, but basically, now I, I use the exchange for other purposes historically. So there are some types of assets where you have to kind of tick some extra boxes to get access to them. So I'm assuming it will be like that. Um, yeah, so they're launching an STO exchange and You'll be able to, you know, if if you've bought the BMN token, you'll be able to deposit them on the exchange and trade them there, uh, like in a marketplace. And same for the XO. And also, they should have a uh, kind of offering where they will make a tranche of BMN available to a segment of their investors, like existing exchange users. And they're they're launching this on Liquid. Yeah. Effectively, yes. <laughs> the both assets that are going out will be liquid assets, so it's a security token exchange based on liquid, at the start at least. Well, I was going to say, is there any potential that other people launch security token exchanges and they're doing them on different blockchains outside of liquid, and those become muddled together? Because I, I would feel more confident buying a token which is... Uh, which is part of the liquid network than I would something that's, say, on the Tron network or Solana. Yeah, well, INX is kind of going the other direction, right? They're starting with Ethereum because the the SEC is familiar with Ethereum. So what we need to do is work with INX to educate them about Liquid and get that through. But it is on their roadmap to start using Liquid as well. Um, I think for securities, like the the method of transport, the chain itself is not so big of an issue, right? At the end of the day, it's going to be like stable coins, where they'll probably be on several chains, and right. you know people can use the one that they are most comfortable with. I know a lot of people that would not be that comfortable with a security token on Ethereum because you know they had a chain split again. And it just seems to be a science fair project where they're experimenting with various things. And that doesn't bode too well for you know, a security token. I mean, yes, it can work, but is it ideal? Probably not. And also there's the other issue like lingering over Ethereum, which is, you know, are they a security they, themselves? If you look at... Um, the, the criteria for is this thing a security? They kind of tick off all the boxes, so there's a bit of uncertainty there. And can I can I store my uh, security tokens from Liquid on my Ledger as well? Does it work like that? Um, probably need a bit of work still with Ledger, but I think you can do it with the Jade, the Blockstream Jade wallet. 
Right. Okay. 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 Yeah, because I think I, I think I would want that. Yeah, Ledger has a, uh, a kind of whitelist of known assets, so it needs updating with some of these new assets. But they have, you know, some of the older ones, so that's that's something to do. Um, yeah. But what about private keys? What if I lost my private keys for my tokens? So actually, that's one thing that <clears throat> um, we saw discussion. There's a Telegram channel for the BMN, and there's been quite a bit of discussion about the OTC trading and valuation models and things. And one of the advantages as um, you know, as an investor, maybe maybe a not very you know technically sophisticated investor that doesn't necessarily feel that comfortable managing private keys in case they lose them in a backup accident, is that with the BMN and, and with uh, Stocker managed KYC security tokens, the Stocker is effectively a share registration agent. So you've KYC'd with them, and every time there's a transaction where you know you gift somebody a share or it's sold in OTC trade or on exchange, their their system gets updated. So if you were to lose, you know, completely lose all your keys, the, there's a procedure where you can basically, you know, re-prove that you have the uh, documents, the passport. You know, maybe you'd have to get it notarized or something, and uh, they'll give you new tokens and uh, prevent transfer of the old ones, just in case that was a sham, right? So. They have a procedure to recover you, basically, because unlike Bitcoin, which has a cost of production, these are tokens representing ownership. And if you know, they can see that you are the owner, it doesn't really hurt anybody to swap you to new keys, and it's the same owner, right? So does it just burn the old token and create new ones, or does it, is that how yeah, it works? They, yeah, there's something like that. I think they're probably yeah. blocked in some way. How much interest is there from other people in launching tokens on liquid like this? So, I mean, the uh, as, as Samson mentioned, with Stocker, the, you know, they started kind of with a multi-chain approach, but actually, I think for all of their new STO, there are, there are multiple STOs in, in progress on Stocker, like a supercar company with, a, I think it's a revenue share or profit share, and other companies like that, um, they're pushing them, you know, Stoker is recommending they go straight to liquid because of the fee situation and the sort of simple robustness of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I mentioned briefly at the outset that Blockstream had acquired a hedge fund, so we're rebooting the admin capital uh, yield fund, and we'll make that also a, you know, a security token form factor, so you have a token. But th- those things are really... You know, normal securities as well. For example, the uh, both of these products that we mentioned have or will have uh, ISINs, which is a kind of uh, unique securities number in Europe. And so it should be possible to uh, provide those to a broker and have them hold your security interest, uh, maybe get margin against it in the same way that you get margin against shares and stocks. So it's really kind of bridging and uh, bringing the blockchain technology into the old share world and uh, giving, giving you bits of access, in, sort of making it more seamless between them. So I think it's a good stepping stone towards bringing shares up to date to the blockchain technology. Is that a Tudemistas fund that you bought? That's right, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I thought I knew that now. Interesting. Um, okay. I can add something. <laughs> so... It's bringing a certain element of uh, bearer certificates back to the financial industry, where you can have control over it. But mm-hmm. as these things are not decentralized, like a company is not decentralized, there is recourse. So as you say, you can you know recover if you lose your your keys or whatnot. You can go back. It's probably going to be a bit, bit cumbersome to produce all the documentation over again, right? You're basically redoing the KYC and verification. So the incentive is not to lose it. But you know, you gain efficiencies in uh, liquidity, trading, and seamlessness. Seamlessness. Uh, but you know, there is a, a company at the end of the day that you have uh, representation of ownership in. So it is not decentralized. You can get it back. Well, it's a little bit like if you lose your login details for Coinbase or Gemini. There is a very painful process to go through to get re-identified to get your login details back. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's not like it's not. This isn't like. Bitcoin itself, it's more that you're using the Bitcoin network to provide a more efficient way of uh, buying and selling and transferring ownership. Yeah, so these are on the Liquid network, but what 
you have with liquid is with pegged in LBTC, you can conduct uh, atomic swaps. So uh, you eliminate a factor of um, trust there. It's there's no counterparty risk. If we do a swap transaction, uh, it either executes all at once or not at all. So it's not like I need to send you a BMN first and then you send me some liquid Bitcoin after. It just happens all at once. So that facilitates that peer-to-peer trade and reduces your risk. Is there any opportunity that this would be exploited by opportunity, opportunists or scammers who just think, oh, this is a new way of raising funds, it's a new way of creating something similar to an ICO and exploiting it? Um, not really. I mean, the, the scammers are always going to keep doing ICOs, right? Because why would, they, why would they bother to do a security token offering? Because there's, even though the barrier to entry has decreased, there is still a lot of work to do. So uh, setting everything up um, with Stoker and Luxembourg, there's still a fair amount of work and cost involved, even though it is, I think, pretty efficient, cost-effective. Um, in the US, you have um, you know, Reg A and Reg D. Reg A can be a bit pricey. I think it's you know, somewhere between 100 to 200 k Personally, I think that's pretty good to do a security token offering, but you know the barrier to make like I don't know baby baby Doge or something like that is far lower, right? You just design an icon and upload it. So those people are always going to keep doing that stuff, and the people that are building serious businesses and companies are going to go through the security token route. And I think we just have to show them what can be built. So as Adam is saying, with Blockstream Finance, we can create a lot of these novel instruments and show people what you can build on Bitcoin, and we can do it in a far more trust-minimized way. Okay, awesome. Well, Adam, you mentioned earlier the uh, uh, Blockstream's mining security token, BMN. So let's get a little bit into that and and talk about how that works. Um, Do you want to explain what you're doing there? Because I know Blockstream have been heavily investing into mining over the last few years. Yeah, so we've been doing you know, a few different things in mining. One is uh, mining ourselves. So we hold Bitcoin on the balance sheet and we figured to decentralize the network, we should buy some miners and mine them. So we did that. And then we also had interest from investors. So we ended up you know, having uh, money from Reid Hoffman to do some mining on his account. And then we expanded that over time. So we have, uh, you know, Fidelity, digital asset miners, and one of our data centers. Um, and Galaxy and a number of other funds people would have heard of. So we do hosting for other people. We got a lot of inbound requests for um, individuals to do that on a smaller scale. And so, you know, there, there are a number of companies doing kind of um, consumer level hosting or hash rate renting, and we wanted to do something that's differentiated and use in a useful way. So we used the Liquid AMP and the security STO model to make a Something that's both a security and more like a financial instrument link. So it's a Bitcoin mining financial instrument. And uh, it's kind of one-shot thing. So you're not paying hosting fees per month. You put money in it and it's pre-funded. So that pays for you know the equipment and the electricity and the operations. And it's a three-year term product. So it's basically similar to sort of fractional participation in one of these big enterprise uh, mining contracts that we give to people like Fidelity and Galaxy. But and there's some twists. So one thing we did is we, because people will be owning a smaller part, we provided an insurance overage. So the first 10% equipment failure gets kind of automatically replaced immediately. Um, otherwise, people get worried about, you know, if they've got two miners and one of them's down, that's a big deal, right? So we want to avoid that kind of concern factor. Um, and the performance is also kind of averaged between all uh, BMN buyers, so you get a kind of smooth experience and not, you know, you're unlucky and your machine took a while to get repaired kind of experience, right? Uh, so that's the BMN, and it, it runs for three years. It's been, you know, the first sales were in March. It went live in uh, July, and it's mined uh, over a Bitcoin per BMN. So the, the uh, launch price of it was uh, 200,000 euros, and that was the minimum purchase, but... On the OTC, it can go down to 0.01, so about 2,000 euros. Um, so it's actually, the return on it so far has been about uh, 10% a month or uh, 0.3% a day or 0.018 Bitcoins a day, something like that. So you know, obviously things change as the Bitcoin price changes and the hash rate changes, but uh, 
the OTC traders seem to be having a lot of fun swapping it before there's a market. And now, as we're just discussing, there's a Bitfinex operated market starting. So it would be very interesting for us to see you know, a market evolve and see how the market prices this instrument. Because it's kind of a unique instrument, right? It's sort of new benchmark, a three-year term product. None of the other products in the market are this nature. And it's more like an investment profile because you you put cash up front and then you you leave it for three years. We think that's, uh, you know, from our own experience, a better way to mine economically. You know, if you sell coins to pay for the electricity, I think that makes a weaker financial return because you end up selling the bulk of the coins in a low point in the market when you really want to be holding on to them. So I think you're better off to set your money aside, keep all of the coins, you get a better financial return. So that's the way we structured it. So that two hundred thousand. Sorry, I was going to say that two hundred thousand dollars buys you. It's, it's, oh. That's for the three-year term. Yeah, it's euros though. So two hundred thousand oh. euros, and that was the launch price. The you know the the layer tranche prices vary based on the input costs, and when it's on the market, the price is effectively what the market you know arrives at by price discovery, and so that gets you a two thousand terahash of uh, mining output and three operations and a 10% equipment failure replacement. So okay okay so and and then your bitcoin payout is just after 3 years. Right. So so and and you can sell it right you know so people are already selling it on the OTC and once there's a bit for next market people can trade in and out of it. And so you know if you decided to sell after a after a year you would expect that the price to reflect the coins mined so far plus the value of the remaining uh, hash rate contract effectively, right? So you can you can cash out and you can you know take the portion of it and there's a dashboard that shows you how many Bitcoin it's mined per BMN. So you can take that and go use the proceeds to buy that many Bitcoins. Um, you know. So do you think we'll get BMN f- futures? <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah, and I mean that could be interesting. Another thing that might be interesting is BMN as margin. Um, some people also comment that, you know, what if I want to, you know, take the Bitcoin out of it? I think that, you know, from our experience, it's better to leave them in there because, you know, you don't want to be selling Bitcoins in the short term. Um, however, if you, you know, if you have some Bitcoin, and, and most people who would buy the BMN probably have some Bitcoin, though not all, well, we can touch on that. Um, you can sell the same number of Bitcoin as the BMN is mined, and then you've got the same effect, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's also kind of like a forced hodling if you uh, yeah if you can't exit for three years as well so you're taking mar- you're taking coins out of the market right I mean that that's doing a bit to uh, reduce the uh, exchange I mean there's the metrics that people put out from Glasshouse of how many coins are available to trade and that's that's been falling over time and so you know products like this which is fairly unique most of the others are you know there's no kind of hold involved. Uh, do take bitcoins off the market straight from mining, so it's kind of a different form factor for mining, where you are mining to hold, not not mining to collect profit or mining to sell them as they come, or selling to cover the electricity bills. It's like all in. You mine and you hold for three years. So we did some you know economic backtesting. We did some mining ourselves in the past that that worked pretty well in a down market. It, it made a profit when buying bitcoin at the start, selling at the end would have lost fifty percent. Price fell from fifteen thousand to seven and a half, and yet we made a twenty-five percent return in dollar terms over that period. So we got interested as to the fundamental reason why that would happen, and did a bunch of backtesting to see, uh, you know, how often that happens. And it, it does have some downside protection, and ultimately, that seems to arise from not selling coin to pay electricity. Why is there a two hundred thousand euro minimum? Uh, European regulations. So. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, technically, I think there's there's a 100,000 euro threshold and there's a 125,000 euro threshold. So it was kind of, but it, it, we had to sort of, you know, pick a round number for the terahash and have some leeway on either side for market price variation. You know, we don't know what the Bitcoin price and hash rate are going to do. So we ended up with this 200,000 because of round numbers. Um, and so it's it's a European... Securities regulation basically saying that you could afford to to buy it, but once and that that's because you're in principle, I believe that's because you are assuming risk in a primary sale. 
Whereas on a secondary, there's typically a market or, you know, so there's less risk to absorb. So I, I, I believe that's the reason Stoker are the uh, experts on that stuff. Uh, in any case, on the secondary and on the Bitfinex exchange, you can trade even lower, below 0.01. So I think one thing that um, uh, people may wonder is like, why haven't security tokens taken off? And I think it's just having all the pieces in place. And the Bitfinex security token exchange is a major part of that. Um, I, I would say like the three big things are the technology. So for technology, we have Liquid and AMP. And then the next is regulatory uh, difficulty. And I think the on the regulatory side, we've seen uh, things improve in the US with uh, Reg A filing being becoming more easy to do. And then in Luxembourg, um, we've it's quite effective, like uh, in terms of time and cost. So that that regulatory hurdle is dropping as well. And then the third big thing is the marketplace. So security tokens are not new. They've been around for a while, but they haven't really taken off because you're missing that critical piece of infrastructure, which is the market and liquidity. So with Bitfinex getting into security tokens, I think it's a big game changer. You have one of the largest exchanges in the world now able to offer this product. And I think it's just going to bring more liquidity and more trading, which will in turn spur more people getting into security tokens and issuing security tokens. And is the payout in liquid Bitcoin? Uh, for the BMN? Yeah. I think we'll let them choose. I mean, yeah. we, there's no reason why we couldn't. But some people will probably want to get the, uh, the virgin or fresh coins that are mined. Right. And, and if these tokens are being, can be traded and you can buy up to, you can buy like, was it a minimum $2,000? Uh, yeah, well, it depends on the market price. The um, ish, but at the, at the launch price, two thousand euros, which is about twenty four hundred dollars. So, does that mean each uh, tranche, each two hundred thousand tranche, is what a th- uh, hundred hundred tokens, hundred shares? That thing. Yeah, I mean the ish. the uh, the way the decimals work is that one unit is the two hundred thousand unit, and then you can trade down to point zero one. OTC, that's a kind of network enforcement. Right. But in exchange, they go down to fractions because you, know, you have to be able to trade odd amounts and things like that. So I think once it hits the network, it has to be a multiple of 0.01. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. A lot of people do want to get into mining. You know that uh, Compass have come on as a sponsor of mine, and I've bought a few machines out there, which is super interesting. There's another interesting way that anyone can get involved in mining, just... Uh, put some of their money for different uses. Like people are asking why I got into mining. Why didn't I just hold Bitcoin? Well, this is cash. I didn't want to put into Bitcoin because it's cash that's in the bank. Uh, Bitcoin's a bit too volatile. Uh, but for me, holding ASICs uh, over the next six months is a, a more volatile. Uh, sorry, is a more uh, stable asset than Bitcoin. I can resell the ASICs, but whilst I hold it in ASICs, I'm generating yield. That was what it was for me, and I feel like this token something similar. You know, on a month by month basis, you could uh, you could do something similar. Well, I think everyone should be every Bitcoiner should be involved in mining some way, either through Compass or through holding the BMN. Because if you're just holding Bitcoin, you're doing you're not contributing to the network security, right? You are actually doing that when you are mining in some form of, or fashion, right? And we we've been through the uh, block size wars where. There's an over-concentration of hash rate under the control of certain entities. So decentralizing that and dispersing it into the hands of everyday people is a, a very important thing to, to aim for. All right, so another thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, uh, Samson, was NFTs on Liquid. Uh, and the reason I want to ask you about it, I'm, my timeline at the moment so it all seems, seems to be people are talking about is NFTs. and Rocks? Uh, rocks, I just cannot understand someone spending two and a half million dollars on rocks. I've been told it's a flex. I've been told it's money laundering. I don't really care. That I just, I, I, I think the market's becoming flooded, and it's just like the ICO is over again, and it's going to end in, in tears. And I just don't buy a lot of the arguments. But I was discussing it with Lynn Alden today. The uh, NFT save for a actually a concert ticket over a cinema ticket, but an NFT for a concert ticket would be interesting because if I go to a concert at the moment, I tend to buy the tickets on the secondary market rather than the primary seller. And you always have a premium, which is issued by the, the, uh, by the intermediary, the, the, the exchange. You know, If you're buying two tickets to go and see Guns N' Roses, they might be $300 each, but you might pay $50, $75, $100 to those people as well. Um, I felt like a, a liquid market for concert tickets stored as NFTs would be just a direct peer-to-peer exchange. So you would hopefully get a lower price. Uh, so it feels like a, a it feels like a good use of an NFT. 
similar to the cinema. I mean, it maybe won't, won't be such a resale market, but this idea of having some utility within the NFT like seems to me a much better use of the technology. Yeah, so for Infinite Fleet, we're trying to use NFTs um, for the spaceships, but I think we're not overselling it as much as some people. Um, even right now, we, we've been selling ships, and they are not yet NFTs, but because it is, it's a centralized thing, it's a game that is operated by a company, we can issue NFTs at any time in the future. So we do tell people the ships will be NFTs, they're not yet. But that's an important thing to really understand, which is, you know, at the end of the day, much like security tokens or even stable coins, there is an issuer behind it. It is not this decentralized thing. Um, there is a good use case, like you're saying, for NFTs. And for Infinite Fleet, what we're trying to do is they're basically the key to your ship. Um, we're not saying like you own the ship forever and it's yours. Like there's a lot of misleading marketing around NFTs as well. And we're trying to be very honest and transparent about it, which is, you know, if you have this NFT, this is the key to your ship and you can access that. You can trade that key with someone else. And when they have that key, then that is now they can drive that ship. But the the biggest thing I think here is just the facilitation of trade. And it goes back to the similar thinking to um, the BMN or security tokens, which is you're enabling better liquidity and reduced trust. So players will be able to trade these NFTs peer-to-peer and with uh, very little trust that you can construct that atomic swap and it can just be traded. Um, we've also worked with Adam Salties to build Rare and that's an NFT marketplace for artwork. So it helps artists to mint their artwork on Liquid and they can trade it. They can apply a royalty to their artwork too so that they get a cut of future sales. And I think these are interesting use cases. Um, for some things like rocks selling for millions of dollars, I, I don't really know, but <laughs> there is a use here. And I think well, you could you could do rocks similar to rare Toshi though. Someone could still do that, right? Well, yeah, someone could do that in theory, but <laughs> we're trying to onboard Bitcoin artists because we see it as a way for Bitcoiners to patronize artists that want to create Bitcoin art and not have to mint their artwork on some shitcoin, right? So, but what I'm saying is, that you still have the, the that person has the ability to create whatever they want as that piece of artwork. Yeah, but I think we are a bit more self-selecting. It's similar to uh, your question, uh, like, would people just uh, do ICOs if they can do STOs? And I think the ICO people will continue to do ICOs because you know, it's why would you do a security token if you can do it for easier and cheaper on some some chain and uh, un, in an unregulated fashion? It's the same for artwork. Um, we're trying to onboard Bitcoin artists. I, I, it's not an open platform where anyone can just sign up and mint their JPEGs of rocks. And but how are you choosing I, these people, though? Well, the criteria is you're making Bitcoin-related art. So That's, yeah, in theory, for they now. could do. Well, it is curated. It is curated. So we wouldn't just like let anyone sign up and become an artist on this platform. But the code is all open source. The the platform is called LNFT. They can take all the code, fork it, and create you know rocksonliquid.com or something like that. And have fun at it, but for well, that's this what I'm site, saying. We could, yeah. you can't stop. I mean, you might curate on that site, but we can't stop people creating this kind of flood of you know, JPEGs for sale. That can't be stopped. But the idea, yes. I, the idea of an NFT for a spaceship in a game or a sword or something. Again, I understand that because that's a community playing a game. They're in there day in day out. They are trading things. They they want to flex in terms of this. Or they, just, you know, I know it with my kids when they play games on their phone. They, yeah, you know, my daughter's on Roblox. She wants like a, I don't know, a giraffe to run around on. That's like a slightly different thing. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I just think it's a bit self-selecting. Like, People that want to do scams are less likely to do it on Liquid. They'll probably do it on Ethereum. Yeah, I, yeah. I would have thought so. I mean, actually, you know, the the other we we've seen some other use cases. So, uh, with the Blockstream Jade, there was some kind of supply chain, and we had to ramp it up. It sold way faster and higher volume than we expected, so we had to ramp up production, and there was a bit of delay. People kept asking when Jade, so we thought, well, let's give them a pre-order voucher. So we made a, a BJDE, which is a Blockstream Jade uh, pre-order voucher. But it's a liquid token, so you can gift it to somebody, you can transfer it. We did a matching program so that you can buy one, sell one to, send one to El Salvador, and somebody local is going to distribute them. And... Um, there's a decentralized marketplace, there's an application called SiteSwap, 
which is a mobile phone application. And you can do atomic swaps, but there's also a marketplace, and users can start their own marketplace for any liquid assets. So somebody started a kind of ticket tail, made a market in uh, Blockstream Jades, which we think is, you know, that's great. That's a free market doing its thing, but they're basically selling, you know, pre-bought some jades and selling them. And the advantage for buying the jade voucher is you can use it to buy the physical jade hardware, and that's in the store now, so people are starting to claim them. And you get you get first act you get priority access to the new stock, and you get it at a slight discount uh, as well. So, in this kind of a, more of a ticket or voucher or discount coupon kind of thing that that's tradable. I mean, it's the general pattern of blockchain networks, and Bitcoin is permissionless open networks. So, you can see that something that would normally be, you know, controlled, uh, limited resale or resale discouraged becomes a giftable, freely tradable, build your own market, build your own app on top of it if you must. You know, you can do anything with it, right? And so, you know, something that was built to swap, you know, by side swap to swap dollars, like tethers on liquid for Bitcoin on liquid, uh, is actually being used to build a market to swap vouchers for, I guess, tether or Bitcoin or something like that, right? And so something related to that is, you mentioned a movie ticket, but actually there is literally a, a kind of movie thing, right? Silhouette. Uh, Samson knows more about that. Yeah, so I think uh, movie tickets tickets could be fungible, but they can also be non-fungible tokens. So if you introduce that non-fungible part to it, then it can be a collector's thing. So you can you can have a ticket that is, you know, one of uh, a thousand, and you can say, I was the first person to see this movie. I was the first one to watch Star Wars. So what Silhouettes did was similar to that. They made all their uh, movie tickets into NFTs. So if you are the first one, you actually have the you know, number one ticket and so on. Um, I think that's an interesting use case. And much like uh, Adam was talking about, and, and you yourself, you know, this can open the doors to a secondary marketplace. So when you buy a concert ticket um, off the secondary market, you know it's legitimate. It's not. It cannot be counterfeited if it is issued by that issuer. And you can trade those uh, without needing trust through um, side swap. Yeah, interesting. I, I do think a lot of it's interesting. I, I, I just prefer the things with utility. I still think like... I still think some of these, uh, uh, some of the creative things. I, I don't know. I'm just. I've been struggling with it, but maybe it's just seeing all this absolute nonsense on on Twitter. Are you getting much push pushback on these ideas? Of well, I assume you are getting some pushback on these STOs and NFTs. Maybe some from the Ethereum crowd saying, "Oh, just because it's on Bitcoin now, you like it." Um, but I assume well, we get some pushback. Yeah, I mean, actually, technically, you know, uh, most of these things had been done many years before Ethereum existed on. You know, Bitcoin Counter color party. coins and mm. rare peppies as Bitcoin color coins and yeah, sort of meta protocols on top of Bitcoin. So yeah. actually most of the Ethereum things are kind of remarketed prior things. Um, and you know, the, the liquid way of doing it is uh, smarter, right? It's robust, simple, doesn't put a lot of state in the chain. And so I think it's, um, yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, third-party developers Starting to build things on the on the liquid network, you know, SideSwap, for example, is a is a startup, and uh, they just appeared and released a wallet, and we didn't know anything about them until it was live. So it's, you know, it's pretty interesting, and we've been chatting with them afterwards to see what their what their roadmap is. They've got a Telegram channel. You know, some of the network metrics changed because they introduced uh, pegins and pegouts, so it, it created more pegouts than usual. Uh, with with the exchanges, there's some interesting metrics because Liquid is confidential. You know, you, it's it's a blockchain, so you can look at it. You can run a full node. You can see the transactions, but you don't know what they are, and you don't know how much they're for. So the only kind of uh, data we get is if somebody shares who is a service provider and Bitfinex uh, published um, a month snapshot of data, and it seemed that. You know, there's still some adoption going on, but 1.5% of um, deposits and withdrawals were liquid Bitcoin, but that represented 5% of value, right? So clearly they are bigger than average transactions. And so maybe people that uh, prefer the confidentiality of not getting the tweet about depositing a large amount of coins because you get front run or power users, that kind of thing. And uh, they also have lightning integration. So 
those obviously, they had stats for those, I forget those, but basically they were much smaller and, you know, many of them. Well, listen, it's all really super interesting stuff. Um, I, th- I like the fact that you're building usable services on top of uh, what is the future of money. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. I'm expecting pushback. But like I said, I, I, was, I think it was Udi I was talking to about this, but, but I think we need to have a more mature conversation about these things. It's Just because it's called a token doesn't mean it's the same as something uh, an ICO a few years ago. And in the hyper-Bitcoinized world, we're going to need services and I'd rather use something built on liquid than something built on a centralized website. So I think it's uh, I think it's pretty cool what you're doing. Um, wh- where are the repositories for people to find out information? Because there's a lot here. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, blockstream.com is a product section with you know, a dozen plus different things to look at. And liquid.net has a list of all of the um, federation members, its own blog post. And I guess there was a Rare Toshi you mentioned and a Silhouette film. Another one we didn't mention is the Satoshi's Games. So that's, uh, they have a collection of online games, include, including like a real-time multiplayer sh- sort of head, head, heads-up shoot, shooting game uh, where you get uh, Satoshi damage points. Like the person that gets hit pays Satoshi to the person that made the score. And uh, their game artifacts are also liquid assets, so you can withdraw them into, you know, the Aqua or the Green Wallet. Uh, they have their own game NFT, sort of game artifact-focused marketplace called Elixir, uh, which is which is also a wallet, you know, a liquid and a Bitcoin and a Lightning wallet, uh, kind of like Coinos is actually. Um, so there's a lot of different things going on, sort of crossovers with games. I think, you know, it's it's all about open networks. Basically, um, and awesome. Well, listen, appreciate it, guys. Uh, I um, I know this is a short notice turnaround, but I appreciate you coming on to talk about it. I think it's really cool stuff, uh, and I'm definitely going to go and uh, get myself some liquid Bitcoin and start pushing that because uh, I think uh, I, Li- Liquid itself needs its own network effect of enough people using it, similar to Lightning and uh, and what we've experienced with the base chain. But congratulations, also congratulations on on the the raise that was. Uh, that was a huge raise. And uh, so, uh, yeah, good luck, guys. Good to talk to you. And I'm sure I'll see you all soon. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can hit me up on my Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, I only ever want you to do one thing. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Anyway, love you all. Have a great rest of your week and I will see you all on Friday. 